Welcome to the Exploring Journey podcast, a podcast about life and transformations with conversations about self-exploration, performance, leadership, and teamwork. My name is Jorge. I love connecting with people and hearing their stories. Join me to explore these journeys together. My guest today is Alisa Nutinen. Alisa works with change management, training, and building learning communities at a large-scale manufacturing company here in Finland. Alisa and I met at a book club, and we've been having great conversations since then. In this conversation, we talk about her experience growing up as a second-generation immigrant in Finland, what it's like to experience burnout, and building learning community in organizations, and a few other fun topics as well. Here is the conversation. Should I get started? Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm feeling quite energetic. Yeah. yeah today was an exciting, exciting day. Uh, March, spring is starting. Uh, and for the presence, I'm hoping that I could get to like 10 or 4. Yeah. I could get there. Yeah. So slowly drifting towards that direction. Being cool. here. I am feeling actually really energetic. I uh, like I was saying before we hit the record. I was I slept really well and started a little bit slow, but like I'm very rested. I'm super super present. Mm. Um, so so I'm very excited to have this conversation. Yeah, likewise. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So. Here's what I did as a preparation for this conversation. So I read all of your LinkedIn posts. <laughs> yep. Um, and I was thinking, you have some really interesting topics there. Mm. And I was thinking, I'd, I'd love to, yeah, dissect or talk about some of them that I think are super interesting and curious and challenging. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to start maybe like with how you're growing up was mm. tell tell a little bit about yourself your background mm. um, we even though this conversation is basically us two mm. let's pretend that there's a third person uh, listening because yeah. i know a few things about you already mm. yep so tell tell a little bit about uh, yourself elisa yeah so the story from the beginning uh very well so i was born and raised in helsinki um immigrant daughter so my mom i uh, was actually born in the soviet russia at that at the time uh she moved here at the age of 24 very very young and quite soon after that she met my dad uh and very fast after that as well i i came to this world uh and uh my parents divorced when i was uh three and a half okay. uh due to my dad's uh drinking problem and uh, we grew up in the uh, eastern part of Helsinki, uh, a lot very like international for for Finland, uh, and a lot of lot of like immigrants as well. Uh, so that was a place where I grew up and uh, where yeah it all started. That's really interesting that you you kind of associate yourself as an immigrant. So you're this kind of a second generation. Your your father is from here. Your mother yeah immigrated here when she was very young, and um, and you also grew up in an area with some immigration. Even now, like twenty twenty one, I wouldn't say that Finland has 
too much immigration. Yeah. But it's definitely a lot more than 12 years ago when I'm when I came here for the first time. So mm-hmm. I can't imagine what it was like when you were a child. Yeah. Probably very very few immigrants. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like it's probably packed in certain areas and I think more and more the immigration is like at, at least in in our circles it's like you you move and like move for a job and it's like you're highly educated whereas mm. that's more a little sort of like refugees so it's it's very like different type of like moving because you have to moving right uh because the conditions where you're from weren't as 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 great as like finland can offer right, right. So I think it's like a huge huge difference so in we there. have different types of migrants yeah yeah exactly so it's not like we're all we, we come from very unequal type of like settings in that sense like my mom didn't have that or doesn't still have a higher education so of course mm. it gives it didn't speak finnish at the time her mm. uh english is also like uh, they thought german actually in, in her like school at the time so very like different footing to like start the life mm. uh and it takes a lot of effort to build that uh so i wouldn't I, i'd say like the area i grew up it wasn't it was far from being like wealthy or like even middle like it was a low income area and mm. i think that impacted the people i was surrounded by and and felt i wanted to be a, like a thin like it was important for me because i saw that as someone like i i don't know like it's like the step up yeah and like uh, so that was like for me it was that mm. so i'd say my like i'd say russian side has influenced who I've become and I still don't feel fully thin mm. uh, although I've like grown up in here and the society has impacted me enormously yeah but that's that's so interesting and and so it's a different sense of what an outsider is if you're kind of from here so I, I've talked uh, I had a mm. two two um, foreigners some of my guests before yeah and we talked a little bit about what is it like to to move to some other place but in a Mm. sense you can also be an outsider even if you live in the same place that you you were born yeah exactly yeah so I feel like for the first like maybe 16 years of my life I felt an outsider in the places I was in and that's why I actually moved to the states even like I was really, really lucky to get a scholarship to do an exchange abroad, mm-hmm. moved to a small town as well and felt an outsider, like again, in a very different way, yeah. in a really, really like teeny tiny town in Minnesota, which was also interesting as well. But that also was driven by the fact that I felt like I don't belong here. I'm not supposed to be here. I'm mm-hmm. somehow different and often like it just doesn't fit. Uh, and then moved back to Finland uh and those high school years were really really great and informative and uh everything felt so easy after having mm. had like one tough year abroad and like without my parents like just like on my own in a living in a local family mm. but then moved actually abroad again uh, to the netherlands to study my degree so there's like has been this pattern of like looking for your place and and yeah uh yeah my story it, it is super interesting that the um, i've been i've been observing the immigrant community here in Finland for all the time that I've been here and mm. the amount of coincidence that the people that live here is is astoundingly high mm. and one of the things that I observe is that so many of us have felt 
that which you're describing mm. this little bit like i'm not sure if i belong here or where mm. i should go and there's always that constant search mm. for trying something different and yeah yeah i would say i would say at the, at the moment i feel very at home mm. here so it's uh, it's been evolving this feeling mm. um but i can totally relate to this idea of you know mm. even if I'm, I'm i've been here for so long that i'm not mm. so uh, and and so how is it now do you do you feel like now you're you're here yeah or is there still this inkling of should i go and look for some other place yeah i know i'd say for the first time in a probably like ever i'm starting to feel more grounded in here i have really good close friends and i feel connected to many many people and like yoga as well and uh, sort of that community and the people are coming from and having a family in here which yeah. is also such a grounding force and having them close by i appreciate that so much more so i'd say that feeling has definitely increased from what it was but i think the question is like where is home yeah is something that i've thought a lot so i think we want to throw that question to you as well yeah. like what do you feel like creates that sense of belongingness and, I, I, and, and, and home yeah it's a tricky thing because I've also tried to trace where this feeling of outsiderness is born. Mm. Um, my parents were also immigrants when I was about five or six. They mm. moved to the U.S. for about six or seven years. Mm. So I got to feel what it was to get uprooted and then be somewhere else and start building new relationships. Even if I was very young, I... I I still think that marked a lot of my yeah acceptance of where is home because when I came back to Ecuador even though during all of those years mm. everybody was like yeah you're from there and you're Ecuadorian and all of that and mm. then I came there and I felt such like such an alien I didn't know the words even if I yeah. spoke Spanish it seemed like English was my first language and yeah during the first year I didn't understand any of the slang. Yeah. I, I it felt out of out of place for so yeah. Yeah. And so that faded away. Mm. But still, there was this thing in the back of the head. I'm not sure if I could stay. Yeah. Because there were so many things that I, I didn't click with. Yeah. Um, and I think it was born out of this. Out of this um, movement this mm. migration movement that my parents did when I was a kid. Mm -mm. So home is a tricky thing to conceptualize for me because it's nowadays is wherever I am with my wife, wherever mm. I am with Charlotte. Mm -mm -mm. So wherever we are, I think we could make it be a home. Um, I'm starting to realize that it's not just that, actually, during the last mm. few months. I, I'm starting to realize that we need this community that you're describing mm. I, I need that community mm -hmm. uh, as well to have people that we you know this uh, groups that we meet yeah. have uh, have a beer read a book talk about it have lunch together mm. these type of things um i think are starting to become much and much more and more important for for the home concept Mm, yeah. yeah so having not just your wife who is like such an important figure in your life but then also the other yeah uh, like the society and, and yeah. those community like like communities and being mm. connected to other people through them as well yeah yeah so 
and and it re requires um, effort and it requires it doesn't just automatically happen no <laughs> so yeah. yeah but it was also super interesting like you were describing that feeling of being outsider like having like left the states and there you had been Ecuadorian and then all of a sudden going back and you were no longer that yeah. so I, I think my mom has described that exact feeling like she like living in the Soviet like uh, Russia uh, she was thin there because she, she's like Ingrian like to be exact uh, mm. the group she represented so she was a thin there but then moving here she's Russian so it's like you're really not from like you know like they're perceiving you always as an outsider no matter where you go so it's like a super yeah. interesting dynamic as, as well of how you can feel that sense of groundedness and belonging internally have you ever felt like the positives of being an outsider hmm. i guess you yeah I, I definitely would say that as well that brings you a different point of view than uh, the majority of the people have so yeah. you see the world from a really like different viewpoint uh, than the majority mm. uh, and I think that's very very valuable that's valuable for innovation in the companies that's like if you want to create something new and if you want to mm. transform and change things you need that yeah. otherwise you're just always having the having the same thing so in, in that sense yeah I'd say it, it makes you also stand out as, as well mm. uh, so that that can be an asset too and i think we we desperately need that mm. and then from a personal point of view like topics like diversity and inclusion are super important for me as well because uh, even though a lot of people who don't know me that well might identify me as a fan like with my name and last name uh but still like inside me i like i see more of these uh things that for someone, oh, it doesn't matter. We don't have a problem around inequality in here. But for me, they matter so much more on a personal level as mm. well. So I pay more attention. I've studied that more. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm curious about that because I, I don't know if I can structure this. I, I haven't actually thought about the positives of, uh, of being an outsider from a personal mm. experience perspective, but there is something about, there's something cool about being a little bit different and mm. like um yeah I don't, I don't know if i can put put some words around that yeah but at least in the workplace i absolutely agree so there is there is that kind of innovation element that appears when you have a certain level of, of uh, diversity mm. yeah let's switch gears because another thing that i actually mm. wanted to ask you so you have a couple of articles um about about workload and about dealing with the the high amounts of workload and you mm. wrote in one of them about your experience with, with burnout mm, yeah so how tell us a little bit about tell me a little bit about yeah how that was yeah so i think it's like the topic of burnout is really interesting in that sense. I remember previously before my experiences thinking that, uh, oh, burnouts are for people who don't like their jobs and you oh, somehow yes. have to dislike what you do or uh, you're unable to uh, deal with your, like you're unable to maybe say no and then you're just not able to manage your work in such a way. So somehow I was, I was thinking that very much from a, uh, from like person's, yeah dislike towards their work and and then yeah 
but then that picture was really sort of colored and I think it got a lot of nuances to it uh, about actually a year ago, a bit more than a year ago, uh, where I realized, uh, so I was getting actually physical symptoms of mm. uh, stomach ache and uh, headaches and just uh, was staring at the screen and just it was difficult to make decisions uh waking up like wanting to like cry so so really like physical symptoms just started mm. um and then remember going to the office and it was 8 45 or something like that and feeling really bad about it that i was there that late that i hadn't made it there at eight um so like the thoughts uh that were so normal at the time and uh, that I realized at that point, but where to say where it actually started, because I think for me personally, that might not be the case for everyone, but for me personally, it roots down quite deep on like uh, to perfectionism and uh, overachieving and, and like sense of worth and, and things like that. Uh, but yeah, so that's where I like really like it became clear to me that uh, how I approached work uh, and what success meant to me uh they weren't on a sustainable basis mm. so that's sort of like the beginning beginning of my my story so re- really first physical symptoms but then uh along after die so how how long was it since you started to notice those physical symptoms first of all were you were you aware of those symptoms as they were happening or did it take you a while to catch yeah. them yeah so actually first of all so i moved back to finland uh 2019 during the fall and then i had just visited uh <laughs> super privileged i had just visited costa rica and panama like as a, as a backpacker and came back and i i was fully confident that i had gotten like a uh, something there so there's like so something had gotten off because when i came back my um my like I had gotten these stomach aches and uh it, it just continues so mm. I, I went in to like get tested for like lactose intolerance and and like gluten-free stuff and I, I was fully confident that, that that was it and then again I went for another trip during the Christmas and it disappeared there so I was like hmm it must be like I'm eating something different when I'm mm. there and then I come back and then it comes back again like um but then uh I went to get tested again for for these like things uh, and there's just wasn't nothing, anything at all uh, in, in the tests. Uh, so, yeah, so it, mm. it had like <laughs> happened for a while. And then as well, like, I would argue that I had been really achievement focused since I was right. probably like 16. So it's not like you can say, oh, it started here, but it, it was like small events like that. Yeah. And what was there a, a, a specific moment where you said, okay, now I have to do something? Uh, to this problem, yeah. So, so it was really like waking up and like crying, like starting your day with crying and like sense of uh, that this doesn't really mean anything at all. Uh, just feeling really bad about mm. yourself and like not wanting to face certain people and uh, feeling hopeless and feeling... Uh, depressed in a, in a way mm. uh so i think that was that was it because and also like having these muscle aches and and the pain was just very uh very physical so so that was uh like the physical feeling was so strong so that really woke me up and my first reaction was that i have to 
uh, like do something quickly because mm. uh, this cannot be escalated. At the time, my first thought was, I cannot miss a day of work. I have to get back. I have quickly. to get back to work. My performance cannot decline. Right. Like like very first things, and I haven't like been out of work for. I I took out a few days as as was suggested, but yeah. I remember like it made me really emotional of that my manager suggested that I would take a few days mm. a few days off uh, what was the feeling at the moment like a failure like oh. I, I wasn't I wasn't successful on of like uh, managing my work mm. uh, in a, and I wasn't successful in taking care of my health which was I very much felt like my responsibility mm. to do that mm. when we think about burnout it's it's not just a personal element to it. It's also the organizational part to it and the societal aspect to it. So even though we so often blame the individual, mm. I think it's much more, especially if you're in an organization and thinking about these things, it's much more powerful to think about what can we as a company do uh, to support people that yeah. this doesn't happen in the first place. Um, and then... Yeah, yeah. What can we do? So, um, what were the resources that supported you in the pro- like to come out of it? Yeah. So at at first, I I feel like personally I started even executing my recovery, which is sort of like um, using yeah. the same technology that got yeah, me into ex- this place. Ex- in exactly, the first place. which is ridiculous. Which I think it's also a reason why it has taken a little bit like. Um, I, I'm feeling quite a ride on most of the days. Um, also, it turned out I had an iron deficiency, which also can uh, can influence how you feel. Uh, but um, at first, my execution strategy was like I had to uh, delete all the work apps from my phone, um, so I wouldn't like be just checking them during the evening or uh, like really early in the morning or whatever. Like, yeah. uh, and then just deciding that I'm not doing certain work that I used to. So there were quite a many things going on. So just deciding that this is out and then, uh, and that process took a while as well mm. to give up on something. Cause I was like, no, I, I, I can do it all. I, I can do it all. And I don't want to focus and I don't want to leave anything. And that, that was really hard. It was like st- stopping to do certain things and focusing more. Uh, so that was a challenging, challenging uh, process that took several months and actually for me, like getting there even, wanting to get there. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, like going to massages, restorative classes. Uh, I even went to these like they have these meditation tank things. I got an awful rash, so I had to like leave, <laughs> which was also so depressing. Like I was like, damn, like this healing is not working. Um, but yeah, so, so. What was the thing that you did this weekend? Um, the pa- past one that you were telling oh, me. Oh, so so I went to yeah, so I went to hypnotherapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was really interesting. Uh, so I I think hypnotherapy, like if you watch like what you've maybe seen in like movies or. Um, and just like the general, like the thought that we have of it uh, is that, oh, someone is like taking over you and like manipulating you and things like that. Um, but it's actually just a really like deep uh, feeling of relaxation, mm-hmm. uh, has a lot of elements of meditation. It's like that feeling that you have right before you fall asleep. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I tried that. It was, it was really, really interesting. So cool. it's like a guided meditation, like journey in a, in a way like mm. just to like bluntly put 
So you had this awareness then, which started from the physical symptoms. Yeah. Then at some point you said, I have to execute my way out of this. <laughs> yes. Um, deleting apps and uh, focusing. But at some point, it sounds like the prioritization was the thing that you, it took a while until you could say no. Yeah, and exactly. And I think like saying no has been one of the biggest, mm. uh, biggest things for me. But then again, as well, in, in addition to just saying no, it's like those beliefs that are really strong in, in there underneath mm. about like what you have to uh, have to be and do. I, I think also one of the big reasons why I started getting the symptoms is I was taking this evening course on top of my work as well, which was work related course. Uh, I also decided to drop that out, which was also really painful. Mm. I wasn't even enjoying the course, uh, but it was more like I have to like do this and I have to uh, go through. So, yeah. Yes. What is the what is the full sentence like that? I have to because. I have to uh, perform in order to, I'd say, it's like being worthy, maybe or mm-hmm. uh and I guess like a sense of success and like going forward and learning yeah. and developing. Like my worst fear when I started, uh, like moved back here uh, and, and graduated was that I would stop learning and, mm. and developing. And uh, so, yeah, so like really strong career focus. What, so you're now actively trying to keep that balance and uh, it seems like you're, you're doing these uh except for the flotation tank (laughs) yeah the the other stuff seemed to be seemed to be uh, useful yeah so i'd say i also on a personal note i i do enjoy these like i guess you could call them like self-development methods or or whatever so i I meditate i do yoga Mm -hmm. um uh just reading books and uh having great discussions and um, our book club as well which we're part of uh, so yeah I do enjoy them but then again there's like an element to them in like execution and mm. an idea of like bettering yourself and always optimizing yeah so it's also like an interesting uh, thought of like how much we're doing all those things that are uh, yeah. so-called hobbies yeah uh, in order to like get somewhere and optimize our performances yeah this is a, th- a theme that has come up in several of our book club conversations mm. this constant seek mm. constant search of betterment and optimization um what when does it end does mm. it end mm. when when do we get where we expect that we want mm. to be yeah how do we know when we've when we've gotten there mm. if we ever get there yeah and like what is better as, what as, is as better well, like i think like majority of us yeah like progress mm-hmm. and yeah it's just yeah it's, it's interesting yeah it's interesting and also super burdensome mm. like carrying the weight of always having to be better it's just heavy yeah yeah i think it is quite like natural and evolutionary for us as well though like we always want to move forward and mm-hmm. learn to do things things better but yeah i think it's very much also in this time yeah this idea of like always striving high and and being at your best and yeah. um yeah, like these images we have of entrepreneurs, of like some sort of superheroes and superhumans. And, uh, yeah. 
it, 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 like an image of a bunch of people running away from a bear is what I get in mind. Like, mm. As long as I'm not the last one. Yeah. Um, mm. And at the same time, the opposite of that, when I think about it, is play. Mm. So we can also, in the best cases from, from my experiences, I can also enjoy the things that, in a, in a kind of playful way, and the result might be that I, I, I may get better at things and mm. I actually gain professionally and I can gain um, skills and I can learn new things. And I can also, instead of doing that from, let me you know whip myself in the back, yeah. I can also approach it in like a play, playful and just have yeah. fun way. And in, in a sense, that might be even more effective way of, of acquiring a new skill or being part of something yeah exactly like a place of joy and Mm -hmm. excitement and and play as you said absolutely yeah Mm. but how do we how do we um cultivate that play yeah that's a good that's a good question i think i'm not sure that i would cultivate the 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 play but i'm I'm sort of like thinking of like what is your personal like why are you here what Mm -hmm. is it that that motivates you and 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 drives you but then i'm thinking is that again too like narrow-sighted i was like oh you have to achieve something uh something again Hmm. cultivating play yeah i also start thinking like in the uh work context right mm-hmm. away of like how do we design spaces how do yeah. we design our meetings uh so, so i wrote down this <laughs> sentence for you yeah um, <laughs> and geez i think i should have i should have written the source yeah I'll, I'll probably search for it and see if i find the source i'll put it in the show notes um yeah. But I wrote here, we can't really control. We can only create the conditions. Yeah. And it's it's just there. I yeah. had uh, I had written this a few weeks ago when we had uh, expected to have a conversation. And oh, then yeah. when I was looking at my notes here today, I was, I wonder why that is there. Yeah, and, it's and this was back. this is the <laughs> time to uh, to say it. Yeah, very well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like. So the environment perhaps is the thing that we can adjust create the conditions or create mm. the space like you said for yeah yeah exactly yeah so it's like how are why are what are we designing for i think right now we're designing our companies and our environments to be uh productive and functional mm-hmm. and like we're designing like profit in our, our money in, in our like as our first priority mm. not like sustainability for instance or thinking that those sustainability and the profit could go hand in hand mm instance and or not neither we're designing in order for the places to be fun and, and creative so, some companies are are certainly but then yeah and also our processes are our processes in such like designed in such way that that could promote that so one of the things that i wanted to ask you was about these processes or yeah these creating the spaces so you are very passionate in creating communities yeah and and creating the community space of, of growth and i'd like to pick your brain about how your experience of learning mm. to create those spaces what have you learned so far what are the things that you have observed in the dynamics of that process yeah so maybe as a background so we started these communities of practice i'd say um in i think 2000 
18 full, if I'm not mistaken, um, at, at Cargo Tech where I'm working. Uh, and they are these expert communities, which are completely volunteer based. So someone interested in a certain topic, let's say uh, climate or uh, uh, service design or change management. Mm -hmm. uh, so these are the spaces where these people can gather and, co and come to. And uh, it's quite common in the consultancy world. Uh, I work in the manufacturing, like, or an organization which is more in, in that, like, a uh, heavy industry, like, machinery uh, field. Uh, so it, this idea of, like, expert communities is very tied to the knowledge work, so it's not as familiar there. Mm. Mm. When it comes to, like, building that and the learnings that I have had, um, so the idea be behind communities of practice is that's very organic and uh, sort of grows naturally and anyone can take it. Um, my experience is that that's like a, it's a nice idea and like I, ideally sure it might work in some organizations, but before it's a bit like we would say that, hey, um, learning is everyone's responsibility or sharing is everyone's responsibility or, or a sentence that I often hear is that, oh, culture is everyone's responsibility. Like, sure, everyone can contribute that, mm -hmm. but it's not like we could, like, we wouldn't say that about then certain things, like as well, like, oh, it's everyone's responsibility to make sure that we stay on the budget or, you, you know, mm -hmm. like, like, of course it is, but then there is also a dedicated persons who are taking care of that. Mm -hmm. So I would say my... Uh, learning from the communities of practice fair is that when you're starting a community it does make sense for uh, there to be a sort of say motor so someone who is uh, starting it off and gathering the people together and, and that's like an actual work and it mm. takes time to um, to get those people together and finding out like sending the invites in, in our environment and then maybe organizing something little to them and of course it's really important to also uh, listen to these people and include them in how you're organizing the sessions so that knowledge shares or webinars or whatever that is, uh, maybe it's a, just a chat channel, uh, that it actually is answering to the needs of the people. Mm. But just sort of seeing that, hey, we're starting this and now it just organically happens. Mm. I, I like at, at least in our environment, that, that doesn't work. You mm. have to have someone driving it. Mm. So often people use this idea of um, gardener versus landscaper when yeah. talking about community. And the landscaper is the one who takes the land mm. and like slices each area, knows what they're going to grow in every specific area and then makes like a, yeah, yeah. The specific plans of everything of how it, and then the gardener is more like letting the things grow and kind of adjust it. But now, when you say that, I'm starting to think about it, that perhaps at the beginning, you need a little bit more landscaping in order to let it organically grow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so just like I, I love that I've heard in the culture sphere, there is this like garden metaphor. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So saying like, surely the garden grows and on its own, but then it's not looking really pretty. Yeah. But then you have these really well put together Japanese gardens and someone is taking care of them. So you can let the culture or the community to go whatever direction it, mm -hmm. it goes to. But then it might look it might look whatever yeah. uh, but the idea that you can shape uh, or have an impact on how it looks like you can manage it 
but you you can lead it mm. in, in in my viewpoint yeah and so you've um, been since it's going to be what more than a year and a half been since did you say 2008 uh, 2018 2018 yeah so yeah, so then it's more than two years yeah yeah exactly so uh, that's when we helped the first communities to get started mm. uh, and then now we have I'd say uh, we have around is it 12-ish uh, communities of practice and some of them are are larger and more active than the others mm. and what we see is it's really important to uh, have that motor in there and of course as well if it has uh, like if the organization is committed and interested in these areas mm. uh, it does help to have that like top management uh, buy-in in there as well just, just believing like hey this is actually an important activity that we're doing it's not just some uh, you know like people just sitting around and chatting it's like a like nonsense that a lot of people might think which which i understand it's justifiable like it has to relate to your work in some way like mm. it has to feel meaningful at least that's like the feeling that it does have to relate to your work for a lot of people in, in our organization yeah it's so interesting it's so interesting that um because there is also some kind of value of I don't want to call it the nonsense. Yeah, expanding your bubble. Yeah, yeah, like uh, play games. Games, I will call it games. Yeah. So one of the things that I do with teams is just get them to play games. Mm. And I usually come in as an outsider and and I can be goofy and I can try things mm. because nobody has any expectations or, or clear ideas of, of yeah. what type of person I am. So I use that. Yeah. Um, to introduce uh, strange ideas to teams. Yeah. And so th- what that looks like at the beginning with some teams is we just play games. I was doing a game this mm. past week with a team and they were quite open to it. But most of the teams are like, wait a minute, are we just going to sit here for an hour online and just play a game? Yeah. What's like the purpose and what's the... Yeah, yeah. And what I have seen is that now, especially with this remote work that everybody has to work from home and people are not meeting Mm. that space of just not doing work and being with the people that you work Mm. um, needs to be designed Mm. needs to be planned because we're not going for lunch and just having the informal conversations yeah Yeah. the spontaneous interactions are are not there the same way as, as they used to so it's just super important that they still are like yeah. there like you have these little team catch-ups we're also having little morning morning chats of, like in the beginning like when corona started we had it actually every morning we had this 15 minutes in the morning with our team and it, uh before it was like 8 45 before like we had the other meeting started but it was it felt so valuable at the time because we were we were going through like a enormous change all of us like shifting to complete remote work uh, now we've uh, shifted to having the catch up only twice a week, but it's just mm-hmm. super, super important indeed, like to to feel connected. And you can do it, like you said, games or in, in some other ways. And actually just like the idea of like games and people being like, why are we doing this? I remember reading someone's like comment on LinkedIn or a post about 
I, I find this to be complete like bullshit that we're doing these games. Like, why are we doing? We're not kids anymore. Why should we be doing this? I find this silly, and that just makes me want to leave the room. Um, and I remember commenting there as well that uh, play actually facilitates learning in such a great way. Mm-hmm. So it has a has a purpose for us, like opening up for for learning. But um, so there is a really like a ra- like a rational reason behind as well of using that. It's not just silly. It's mm. it's supposed to have a purpose, but it's just it, like work can be fun. Meanwhile, yeah. uh, while you're doing that, it doesn't. If you're having fun, it doesn't mean that you're not doing good work. Uh, and I think that's also like a thought that we have of like job is serious. Yeah, and maybe it's just this like really industrial idea of. Uh, how work used to be and like manufacturing and and productivity and managers screaming at you that you're not doing the right things and it and of course work has changed enormously but I think a lot of these same beliefs are still present in corporations because corporations were designed at the time where where it looked really different Mm -hmm. yeah and very formal and uh, no nonsense and it's interesting that now when science and research starts to come out and say things like, you know, when you're in a state of play, your productivity might be higher than ever, or it's the perfect place for learning and and building this neuroplasticity that allows our brains to acquire new competences and new skills uh, is maximized in this type of state. Mm. And so then we have to look at these things in a different light yeah yeah but then at the same time as well like when there are these people in the let's say classroom or a training that you're hosting that are really skeptical to these things like how can you take them on board or is it inevitable that someone will will drop out that this is not their culture like this is not how they work this is not what they stand for it and it's it's not for them yeah so I think it's also like an interesting idea of like because we're believers but then there are there is a group which feels really uncomfortable doing yeah. these things and that i think we need to respect that and acknowledge that that's the case and uh, of course uh, at least when i facilitate and run events and trainings i um, try to create the conditions where people can opt out if they are truly outside and I also encourage people to to be be um, courageous uh, to step a little bit outside of, of that circle mm. of, of comfort yeah. and just uh, for a moment just put the toe out yeah, and see what happens and then you can go back in yeah exactly um, a, a little by little it doesn't have to be a full shock yeah. necessarily yeah so maybe this is like a good segue to the so one of the things that you have also written about is is failure and so with these type of things of stepping outside of the circle of comfort Mm. there is always the risk of failing of doing something that did will not go as you expect so what what what, uh, how do you see failure as part of all of this that we have been Uh, discussing yeah I think it's super funny that I I wrote that like failure post even because that was before like all these uh well burnout symptoms and things like that so I think it's 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 really really funny that it's it's like coming from from me especially um I think failure is necessary for in order for us to innovate and in order for us to learn like 
I think in, in that blog post I used the metaphor of like a baby that's trying to like get up for the first time. It's not like we run right away, but it feels like we're expecting that a lot from ourselves. Uh, it's like really bubbly at first. Mm. Um, and yeah, it, it just has to be recognized as, as part of the process uh, that it's, it's normal. But I, I think also the idea of uh, it has to be perfect right away. You're just doing this one, like we're always doing just one, like one thing. And that's like the outcome. We're rarely considering other options mm -hmm. of, of doing that. So let's say uh, we're like running this project in, in a corporate world, running this project and we're thinking, okay, this is the outcome we have to get. We never considered that, hey, maybe we could do this, like not do this project at all. Maybe we could do this lighter version. Maybe we could do this version that we thought of, or maybe we could even go more transformative and extensive. So we tend to like come up with a solution really fast. And get married to it. Yeah, and get married to it and never question whether this is actually the right thing to do. Mm. And that questioning is, is really foreign to a lot of uh, lot of people uh and it's, it's boring you said. foreign like it, okay, it, it yeah. feels very bizarre yeah uh, it, it feels out of comfort zone mm -hmm. um and it might also feel unpleasant when someone is saying like hey should we actually be doing this this thing at all yeah or, or also if in the learning contest you could think about this as drawing eight pictures uh, of drafts of this idea instead of drawing this one draft and, and suggesting only that. Right. Because uh, also what research shows is when you take, uh, I think there's a study of uh, students that they had to go and take pictures and one group was uh, advised to just take one perfect photo and then another one was advised to take like multiple photos. Like they were also evaluated on the amount of photos and those that were taking more photos got better. Mm. Uh, like the photos were better and more unique because they were trying out different perspectives. So oh, it's wow. actually like super helpful for us to uh, expand instead of like, and, mm. and that's sort of like you're, you're more risk taking when you're advised to do more photos or more versions. Mm. Uh, so I think that's also like there, like having that permission to fail. Mm. Yeah, okay. So in that sense, we're, we're expecting for things to be tried and tried and tried again mm. um, and therefore we failure is not a you get hit in the head yeah it, it was just one of the options yeah and then as well what like when you're thinking from the like new business like development side is that this is just a hypothesis that we have the solution that we're working on mm. uh this is our best guess at the moment with the data that we have instead of like this is the solution that that we must go with mm. yeah yeah being hypothesis driven so we work a lot with that as agile agile coaches and, and being married to the solution is something that we see so very often in the projects that we work with um yeah and uh, I, I think it's also part of my job to be the first one in many cases to ask the silly questions of wait a minute why are we doing this in the first place yeah and have a lot of really angry looks yes um, yes absolutely yeah been there um and it's also i think my sort of question there is like how can you do it in such a way that people are 
able to take those questions mm. uh how can you create a, such an environment that people are open and and, and willing yeah yeah that's not an easy one <laughs> no no it, um, it's a very systemic uh, question because there's so many moving parts that create the conditions for for the marriage to the solution mm. um, so it's very context specific mm. Hey, one of the last questions that I had for you is what gets you excited about learning and what are you excited about learning now? So I know that you like to learn a lot of new things and yeah. you're always curious about things and so what are what is it uh, what is it now that you're passionate about learning? Oh, that's a good one. I feel like I have so many like different directions I could go to with this one. What am I passionate to learn? Um, I'd say like I guess I go more into like, uh, really like, like on the personal side of learning to recognize like our different emotions that we have, uh, and how we behave in different situations. What triggers us as we're talking about that. Uh, before we started recording so uh, just learning to understand behavior and uh, on, a, on a personal level because I, I think we just go by our everyday life and we might get really upset or we might get really happy or, or whatnot all these emotions but we're not really stopping to uh, to observe them and accept them as, as well so I think like diving into that world of uh, yeah, self-discovery and psychology and, and, and things like that. I think that that has been probably what's been the most interesting to mm. me lately. That's more or less the theme of the of the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so um, uh, so we, we touched upon this uh, for forever optimizing or what did we call it 20 minutes yeah. ago the seeker yeah. seeking to be better and better and better yeah but um at some point it seems like it's easier to let go and just be and so just ride the journey just ride the wave mm. but in a sense it, in my mind it's also interesting to observe that wave to just like describe do what you just described so mm. take a pause and look at what is that and that part of that is that self-awareness of the emotions and what are the things that i was triggering and yeah. I, I i don't i didn't record it so i luckily i don't have even to think about including it in the ah. episode but i was telling you about this trigger at work yeah um and what is behind all of that what is behind the things that upset us what are the things and i'm thinking about how do we take that moment of reflection? What are tools that we develop in order to be able to observe mm. that and to not like break it up or take it apart or dissect it too much, but just to kind of understand it. Yeah. And, and I guess in like, how could we take to that, that to our everyday lives mm -hmm. as well? Because I think that a lot of the reflection happens afterwards yeah true and and how could we create moments for for those reflections mm -hmm. of uh because there are obviously a lot of emotions also at work I, I think it's also an interesting idea of us being somehow professional quote unquote uh at work and that would mean that uh we 
wouldn't have those emotions present there somehow that they wouldn't be leading us but that's completely it that's not possible we're mm. really emotional uh human beings and that they can they can tell us a lot they're messengers um so yeah that's also interesting of like how could we create space for that mm. in the in the corporate world as well yeah one of the things that i do is this thing that we started with today this check-in basically a call for introspection mm. this small mindfulness moment of just checking in with with myself um, how am I feeling I have a post uh, on LinkedIn that I wrote a few years ago because I got really curious about what the hell is this feeling thing mm. a few years ago I had a coach who was asking me so what are you feeling and I just like was almost angry when he asked yeah. me like what am I like I have three emotions, either I'm happy, <laughs> I'm angry, or I'm hungry. And yeah. usually the first two are related to the last yeah, one. Yeah, hungry. <laughs> <laughs> so if I eat, I'm happy, and if I don't eat, I'm angry. Yeah. Um, and so he gave me this homework that I should yeah. go and took look a list. I guess this is the same homework that many coaches give to many yeah. people. Go and look at a list of emotions. What, what, what's out there? Yeah. Try to develop beyond. your vocab. Yeah, what's beyond yeah, the good, three? Good, yeah, good, good and not that good. Yeah, exactly. So let's build some new ones in that you yeah. know, emotional vocabulary. Mm. And so I've been on that journey since. And it's really interesting mm. to evaluate scientifically where it comes from. And so I wrote a blog post about this because there is a difference between a feeling and an emotion mm. and at least based on this um, caltech uh, researcher that, that i quote on this post is the emotion is a chemical reaction so the emotion is actually it's called emotion because it's there's a movement there's a motion mm -hmm. there's a, like a chemical thing that happens that is physically moving inside of your body mm. and that might be i don't know some kind of uh, gut thing or it might be like a nerve thing or a muscle twitch or a, or a feeling on the skin surface or whatever mm. there's actually something and then we interpret that as like okay i am feeling this twitch in my stomach and and then it generates the thought process that turns it into a feeling mm. oh i'm nervous mm. and so there is there is like a whole chain of things that happen until that emotion turns into a feeling mm. and it's interesting because in a way you can you can decouple those two so you can feel that physical reaction mm. but it doesn't necessarily need mean that it needs to turn into that particular feeling mm. And so I've been exploring and being kind of mindful of, of those two things. So where does that feeling originate? Mm, mm. In which specific chemical Believe. trigger? Yeah, yeah. And as well our beliefs, I guess, yeah. like, on, like behind them are such a strong, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah point that yes. has an impact in the exact same situations. Uh, someone like your boy or girlfriend comes late, uh, late home and you might be like the other person thinks that oh they might be like like preparing a present or like doing something nice for me and that's why they're late whereas the other person is convinced that they're cheating on them mm. so it's like the exact same event but you you interpret it in such a different way yeah exactly yeah what's your um, vision yeah i think what i've like tried manifesting is just like 
peace and uh, meaningful connections. So I think this podcast is also a wonderful like manifestation of that as well. Cool. Of uh, connecting meaningfully with, with people. And, yeah. Cool. Yeah, so. I love that. That's great. Yeah. Um, I think that's the right time to, uh, to say thank you. Yeah. For uh, having the space for that connection. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah, I really appreciate you. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thank you.